from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. It's brand new, season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey, Money Movers, welcome back to Money Moves, the daily podcast determined to give you the keys to the kingdom of financial stability, wealth, and abundance. Our next guest is co-founder and CEO of Patchwork Recording Studios. Patchwork Recording Studios has been the home to more than a dozen Grammy-nominated audio engineers and over 100 gold and platinum records. The studio has worked with major artists such as Ludacris, T.I., Outkast, Dr. Dre, Kenny Rogers, Cher, Carlos Santana, and Madonna. Patchwork has also been the creative force behind several educational programs and music events such as Music University, Weekend Workshops, I Do music and R&B live. Money Movers, please welcome to the podcast, Curtis Daniel III. Hi, Curtis. Hey, good morning. How are you doing today? Good morning. Good morning. I'm doing great. Really excited to have you on the podcast today and learn more about your story. And I think the Money Movers are really excited to hear from you. I'm excited to be here. Y'all talking about stuff I like to talk about. Yes. Making money moves, generational wealth, excellence, entrepreneurship. That is totally in the alley and vein of what we do here on Money Moves. So really excited to have you. And I want to start off to let our audience have a better understanding of how you started your music journey from when you were young. You know, you started on the turntables and then there was a point that you decided you wanted to be a DJ. But also, I think what's really unique about your journey is you have a degree in psychology. So how did all these influences get you to this point now? I mean, my my dream was to be able to DJ. I never, I mean, um, you know, probably like it. I'm, I'm from LA. I'm from Carson. And um, I always say probably about the sixth or seventh grade, uh, one of my homeboys, his dad ended up buying him some turntables. 
and his house was right behind mine. So I used to jump the fence to go to his house. <laughs> and um, I always said that I've, I've always had a good ear for music. Like I know what song should come next. Like if we're doing a party or making a mixtape or something like that, but I've never had the skill set to be able to mix or blend records. So I know how to work a mixer. I know how to fade over and do little stuff, but I never can put anything on beat. And so, you know, I always joke was that that was my dream was to be able to DJ. I always played records. Yeah. Played songs. So the only time I got the DJ growing up is when he wanted to go dance. And, then, <laughs> and he'd be like, OK, take over. Yeah, if Don't he wanted mess to up dance, the vibe. <laughs> yeah, I get to play like four or five records or whatever, but I couldn't really blend them. And then I remember it's been years ago now, but I remember I thought my dream had finally came true when they came out with them Pioneer CDJ turntables. I was out of college. I had a little bit of money and I said, man, I'm finally about to be able to DJ because I thought that it would do it for me. And so I remember I went out to the Guitar Center. I bought two turntables and mixers some little speakers. And man, I still couldn't mix them records. Man, I, I, ended, I ended up bringing the turntables to the studio and we rented them out. And um, so I always have a lot of respect for DJs because even though, you know, the technology or the tool has changed, yeah. you still got to be able to know how to DJ to, to be able to do that stuff. So, yeah, if, if I could do anything in the music industry, I, I would want to be a DJ because I could control the crowd and control moods and stuff like that or whatever. But I don't have a skill set. So so I'm I'm 26 years in the music industry, but I have zero music talent. I don't write. I don't produce. I don't rap. Um, I own a studio, but I'm never in the room, man. So I always tell people I'm like the last fan, the last uh, music yeah. industry fan. I'm straight up a fan. But interesting to me, because we've had a lot of musicians, we've had a lot of DJs, but a studio executive. So you were really sort of like the magical whiz behind the system running, you know, the studios and helping these artists succeed. So how did you sort of steer into that vein? So for us, when we, we grew up, like I said, I always tell people, Carson, California is unique. Um, everybody on my block had two parents. Everybody house probably about $800,000, $900,000 now. I literally didn't feel like there was a need for any gangs in our neighborhood. Yeah. And um, we grew up with two parents. And like I said, our, my mom was always telling us we can do anything that we wanted to as long as we worked hard. And then our dad was modeling that behavior by working hard. And so and you what know, were your, I'm just really curious, because I think that's a really interesting point. You know, a lot of people think L.A., they think Compton, they think, you know, music came strictly out of Compton. And you're in this really interesting Carson area where it's like, hey, listen, there's black families that had two parents. So what was the narrative around like success and actually how your family taught you to like look at making money, saving money, building wealth for a family? I mean, there's, you know, really still, I think that like as as. You know, as I as I've matured and you kind of look back at how you came up and, you know, I've even had my parents apologize a couple of times for some things that they didn't do. Like, for instance, you know, I went to Michigan State on a football scholarship and, you know, during that time I was taking trips around the country by myself to go visit these colleges. It wasn't until my nephew went to Arizona and I actually went to the school with them yeah. that they realized that that was important. You know what I mean? And then we never I mean, I remember I always remember probably like twice a month. My mom and dad would just be sitting at the dining room table paying bills. I would yep. see them write bills and stuff like that. Now, you know, where, where they at, they never had the conversation about credit. They never had the conversation about mortgages. 
They, they never really had that conversation. And I think now when they see what I'm doing with my nieces and their grandkids, they'll sometimes apologize and be like, we didn't wow. know any better. And, and then, you know, they're, they're, you know, what, what was weird is that I told my mom one time, I was like, man, you, you know, you, my mom then bought their house in 19, I was born in 72. So they bought their house in 1974 for $47,000. That house is probably worth about eight fifty, and they still have a mortgage on it all these years later. And and I would be like, they kept refinancing, which is fine. And, and but then I would tell my mom, like, how come you never told me about that, or you never taught your kids that lesson? Yeah. And she was like, well, you know, our our philosophy was you, you learn on your own. And I and I would and we would literally have a debate about why would you let your daughter walk off that cliff when you could have. When you walked yeah. off the cliff and it, and it and it kind of puts you in a bad position, why wouldn't you tell us that if you knew that? And she was like, "Oh, I knew that, but me and your dad figured y'all would figure it out." And it was it's, it's weird where I didn't I don't I don't appreciate that style. Like my my style is yeah, I'll let people kind of stub their toe to learn yeah. a lesson, but if I feel like they're about to walk off a house and possibly possibly can damage themselves long term, then I'll volunteer that information I learned over the years that I literally have to specifically ask and pull stuff out of my mom. Now, I don't think they didn't know nothing because they didn't tell me, but their style was so different. Louisiana. Yeah. Is, oh, okay. You know, they, they had to learn on their own. And so and they, know, that's what they do. I almost liken it to how a lot of folks, black folks that did learn to swim, they'd be like, yeah, my daddy just threw me in the water. Right. And yeah. now you fast forward because that's what they, how they learned and how they knew. And now you fast forward this generation, we have our kids in swimming lessons. They're probably, you know, because we want to equip them with all the tools that we did not have and that are, are at our fingertips now, I think. So I think it's a generational thing and we're all doing better and why I love sharing stories like this. Yeah. Yeah. I think that we, we, we have a more value and appreciation for education now. Yeah. And there's, there's more than one way to learn. So even though you threw that kid in the water and he learned how to swim, but now he's scared of the ocean. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you, you did two things. You kind of damaged them and you forced them to learn under pressure, but it scarred that person. And now they scarred up, scarred up by that. So I always tell them, like, even like my conversations, it's funny we on this, I always talk about multiple forms of currency where some people value money. I always value the education because I think I can use the education to make the money. So I'm big on teaching and learning and studying experts and and, and, and and learning from people that have, that have made mistakes and did things in the past. But we didn't we didn't get that particular talk. You know, it's right. weird when I hear when I hear a lot of rap music and stuff and people talk about how their parents weren't there and how they want to be a better parent because they saw something that their dad didn't do. Mm-hmm. Mine is more like that with finances and credit. And and knowing and learning that part of it is like man, it was it was a gap. It, it kind of hit me when I got out of out of college. I think the, the the biggest thing that scarred me up is when I was in college at Michigan State. I wanted to come down here to Atlanta to go to the Freaknik. <laughs> I, I, I had a credit card from MBNNA, MBNA, yep. and it had a thousand dollar limit on it. And I called them and I told them I wanted to up the limit. To What's the limit? I'm going to Freaknik. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to go to that store structure and give me some new clothes, <laughs> right? So I told them to up it to 1500 and they told me, okay. They sent me, another, they sent me another card in the mail. And what I didn't realize is they created a whole nother account. So I had a $1,000 wow. limit and I had a 1500 limit. 
and it messed up my credit score and it scarred me. Yeah. And, and when I graduated, I, I felt like the, the lesson that I learned was your credit score is a new form of discrimination. Yeah. They, they can't really use they, they they're more subtle about if it's racial or age yep. or whatever. But they used that. And this was in 95 when I graduated and I figured it out when I wanted to go get a car, when I wanted to go get an apartment, when I wanted to cut on my cable. And I'm like, man, the only thing messing me up is these two bad credit cards. And, um, it and it scarred me for a really long time. It scarred me so bad that I canceled my source <laughs> subscription, my vibe subscription and double Excel. And I subscribed to money magazine and the psychology thing. And then I just, I didn't understand the language. But, you know, in my mind, I kind of thought to myself, I said, man, everybody, everything that we doing or every everything that people values is based on money. You know, yep. Like if you want to do something. It is. It's the basis you know, so, of so many things. And, you know, yeah. what's interesting, I think you have a really interesting background because you said you went to school, you had a psychology degree and you actually started a recording studio in college. So now you have this like, well, I got to pay attention to how money works in this society but have this interesting background of a psychology degree. Talk about starting your first business and some of the hardships that you saw. Yeah, we, we started our record label in college and in the studio when we finished. But um, the hardships was was money. Like, you know, the, the weird part is it's, it's so much stuff that you learn afterwards. Like it's important to like in football, we we practice. We go take a shower and then we'll watch the practice just we did. Mm -hmm. We'll play a game and then before we go get ready for the other game, we'll review what we did. So in my life, it's like that. I look back at things. So when I look back, like when we first started, I would read the studies that they would say most businesses fail within the first three years or something. And I, and I never really knew why. Many years later, when I thought about it, I said, man, everything that we tried to do the finance companies would only give us a three-year lease. Wow. Right? We had 36 months. Your first 36 months of when you're making money, everything is just going out to these pay to these businesses. You're doing the business and stuff like that. So it was weird just to be like, why do these businesses they keep saying this number three years? Because three years, you got a big old weight on your back. Yeah. Like you working hard, you're busy, but all the money that you bring it in. You paying out because the traditional banks and credit unions didn't want to give us money. So we using these equipment finance companies with high interest rates. And so it was it was a that was the biggest struggle was just, you know, I always tell people when you when you open up a studio or a business, you know, getting people to work there typically isn't the hard part. The hard part is getting people to pay you on time. Oh, so I was you, just gonna so, add that's the interesting yeah, part. So you end up, you end up with a card. Yeah, right. yeah, you end up with a cash flow problem. Everybody want to come in and record, but then when it's time to get paid, it's hard to keep up. So the people that pay you are slow, but the people that do the work want to get paid right away. Right. And it, it creates a problem if you don't have access to capital. You know what I mean? From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. 
For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because, God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm so curious. You've had so many big names that have come through your studio. You've worked with so many people. Do you have any memorable recording session stories that you can share with our audience? Hopefully something about Madonna. I mean, T.I., Ludacris. Tell us something juicy. Well, I'll, I'll go, you know, what the weirdest part is it because we do so much music. I think one of my more memorable sessions where I actually sat in the studio for three days, probably about eight hours a day, was when uh, Farrakhan was here. I don't know if people know, he, he plays the violin and he, he put out a double album probably about two years ago that we worked on. Um, being from L.A., man, when, when Dr. Dre came to Atlanta and he was here for seven days. Wow. It was, it was uh, you know, what was weird is like being at the Super Bowl just happened. I felt like people paid homage to Dr. Dre. Yep. The whole city of Atlanta paid homage when he was in Atlanta. It was so many people that came to the studio from Jermaine to Usher to T.I. to Luke. Every producer and their mama came down here 
and just kind of was like, I remember at one point Tip was in the booth, T.I. was in the booth and he was rapping. And Dre was like, hey, do you mind doing it like this or trying it like this? And Tip was like, sir, I will try anything that you suggest. You know, wow. if you think I should do it this way, I will happily do it that way. And it was just a level of respect that it was it was Southern hospitality. But everybody I don't want to say they bowed down, but yeah. everybody, you know, everybody recognized that we had one of the greatest producers of our time here in Atlanta and, and they wanted to pay homage to him and they wanted to learn from him. And, and the cool thing about Dre, they had all of our rooms booked. So you had all these different producers working at different stations. One of the producers told me the biggest thing that Dre did is when he came in the room, instead of criticizing or being critical of yeah. their work, he gave them things to add to the music or things to try to make it better. And he was like, it was dope. It wasn't like somebody was talking at me or telling me what was wrong with my songs. Yeah. His approach was, this is what I would do to make this better or try this. And um, and it was dope, you know. That's and then, um, I think it says a lot about, you know, true leaders. And like you say, true leaders in an industry, they're not always the ones who are like, you know, yelling and screaming and trying to get effect that way. So just being like, hey, it's very complimentary. And then to have all these Atlanta greats, you know, just respectfully being like, I want to learn from you. That's that's a great story. I appreciate that. Absolutely. And I, and I, and I got to say these last two for me. Yeah. So um, I grew up and I grew up with the cassette tapes. And, and after football practice, how I used to relax and go to sleep was to Regina Bell. Uh, and I, I, I popped about three cassettes and had to repair them with my Regina Bell tape. And uh, Regina Bell started coming up here. And I was so scared of Regina. I had so much respect for her that I was scared to speak to her. It, it took about the fourth time till I finally got enough courage <laughs> to call her in the office. And I told her the story. And she was like, oh, you know, you don't have to be scared of me. Da -da -da -da, right. So she was very nice. Gave me her number. We cool now, right? Now, because of that experience, and that was Regina. But when Patty Bell, when Patty LaBelle Ooh. came here, now that that that's my all time, right? So when, when, when Patty came, I was comfortable enough to go speak to her because of how Regina Bell treated me. Yeah. And when I told Patty the story, she said, Thank God for my sister. You thought I was going to be a diva or a bee, but because of the way she talked to you and embraced you, it gave you the confidence to come speak to me. I love Regina for that. And those two was like, you know, that ain't no hip hop stuff, but them, them the ones that, you know. I mean, they are legends, legendary. Yeah. And it's also yeah. nice to hear these beautiful stories because I think oftentimes people misconstrue that, you know, celebrities, these recording artists are diva-like stars, right? So telling these stories about, you know, greats like Regina Bell, Patti LaBelle, like you came to gave them accolades and they just graciously accepted them as opposed to sometimes we only hear the stories about, oh, they didn't want to talk to us. So it just helps to like, you know, dispel all those myths. I think around a lot well, of I'm gonna add one thing to that. So I learned a lesson. The biggest one of the biggest lessons I learned years ago, we were we were gonna have Junior Mafia in the studio with Little Kim. I had seen all the album covers, I had read the story. She was calling herself the Queen Bee. Yeah. I literally said, I don't want to meet her. I don't even want to see her when she come in. She was the nicest artist <laughs> that I've met. And I tell people, her and Tion from TLC taught me a lesson. They taught me that the bigger the artist, a lot of times the nicer they are. Yes. 
they, they, they have realized that fans have afforded them their lifestyles. So the bigger the artists are, they're, they're usually the ones that'll take the time, that'll speak, that'll take the autograph. One the by people, one. Yeah, the people that, that are the rudest are the new artists, you know what I mean? That, that, that are trying to get there. So they think that they're supposed to behave a certain way. Those are the ones that'll walk by your office, won't speak. Those are the ones that'll try to stand on your console. Those are the ones that'll just be rude to you. Yeah. And so, yeah, if anybody's out there, typically if it's a big artist and they're not with their family or their kids trying to have a private moment, they're more accommodating than, 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 the, than the people that think that they're famous. I agree. I agree. All right, Curtis, tell us what's next for Patchwork Studios. What can we look out for? Tell us what to keep our ears peeled for. You know, we have another brand that's about we're we're going on 27 years old and our I Do Ooh. Music brand, I think it's going on 12 or 13. Um, our I Do Music brand, the, the mission statement for that brand is to educate and empower artists and musicians worldwide. And so underneath that brand is where we did our workshops, our type 32s, our live performances, our master classes. And, and man, I, I feel so bad because we haven't been able to do anything for the past couple of years since COVID. And oh, I literally okay. feel like, you know, for me, I feel like I'm taken from our industry because that was our give back. And, you know, we got so many emails and phone calls about people telling me that those were their networking opportunities. Right. That's how they met other people. That's how they learned. And they've been pretty much begging for us to get back started. And, um, at the end of the year, I had kind of promised that we would kick off what we were doing by February, but then we got that that uh, Omicron. <laughs> yeah, we, we got the other uh, variant and it shut us down. So, you know, I'm literally just trying to get back to the point where we're giving away stuff for, in, you know, for educating and empowering up and coming independent artists so that, you know, we can, we can fill up what's at the top at the bottom or whatever. And so for us, I'm really focused on that. Our core business is fine, you know, recording, mixing, mastering, distribution, paperwork. I mean, we typically doing 11 to 13 sessions, seven days a week, wow. starting no later than 10 a.m. and wrapping up around six in the morning. So the core business is fine. But I I feel like I'm taken from my industry because our other arm, our podcast, everything has just kind of been under wraps because we've been trying to be safe. So 2022, you know, I just want to get back to that part of giving back to um, to our community and our music industry and, and, and providing a, a good quality educational experience for people that's affordable. You know what I mean? Well, we love that and we appreciate it. We know that you are, you know, focused on not just, you know, building great artists, creating a place for them to create, but also giving back to the community. And that is incredibly important. So Curtis, can you tell us where our audience can find you on social media and let us know where they can look out for some of these future programs that we'll be relaunching? Yep. Our, uh, for the studio, it's all at Patchwork Studio and it's P-A-T-C-H-W-E-R-K. So Patchwork Studio, I think on YouTube and um, or Patchwork Recording Studios and Instagram and Facebook and Twitter is Patchwork Studio should have the blue check on there. And then our website, we we still, you know, we still old enough to make sure our website is on point. It's just uh, patchwork.com. And um, there's a there's a lot of um, I'm really proud of our YouTube channel and amount of content that we put out. Um, typically, if, if, if I run into somebody that's a parent that has a kid or somebody that wants to be in the music industry, I'll typically tell them to go to our website and go to our FAQs and look at our services and then go to our I Do Music podcast. And that'll 
that'll get you going. I mean, I just, I, I'm really big on, I feel like we lose a lot of talented people in our music industry when they run into the wrong person. So yes. you, you, got a, you got a mom that's spending her money to help her, her daughter that's yep. chasing a dream. And then they run into one of these bad producers that or take their money. Stipend money and we, we lost that person. They out of our industry because some butthead robbed them or they go to a studio and they pay all this money and they create a bad experience. So I do free consultations myself, either on Zoom, in person, or you can, you know, call. And my goal is to help people that try to, to try to be the onboarding process for people that want to get into the music industry but don't know where to start. So I try to tell people that before you spend a dollar, you know, set a meeting up. Let's sit down and talk. And um, and if we can't help you, we can we can point you in the right direction or steer you to somebody that's not going to rob you. We, we want you in our industry and we don't want you to get robbed and, and, and get a bad taste in your mouth by dealing with some of these crooks out here because there's a lot of them out here. Oh, that's such a great perspective. And I think it, it happens so much more than you think for people who are trying to break into the industry. They come across the wrong, a bad actor. Um, so you guys make sure you check out Curtis, follow him on social media. And I mean, what a gracious, gracious guest to even say that, like, just on the regular, I take consultations, whether it's on Zoom, so that you can have a better understanding of how to succeed in this incredible industry. Thank you so much, Curtis. And all right, Money Movers, that's all the time we have for today. But to make sure you follow Curtis on all his social media handles. If we help you make your money move, please make sure to let us know by sending us a like, sharing the knowledge, and leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Make sure to tune in Monday through Friday and subscribe to the Money Moves podcast powered by Greenwood so that you too can have the keys to financial freedom you so rightly deserve. Thank you so much for tuning in, Money Moves audience. If you want more or a recap of this episode, please go to thebankgreenwood.com and check out the Money Moves podcast blog. Money Moves is an iHeartRadio podcast powered by Greenwood, executive produced by Sunwise Media Inc. For more podcasts on iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers.